I've enjoyed his messages. I learned something almost every time. And uh, I hope that you open your hearts right now. Get ready to receive what God has. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to be here on Labor Day weekend. It's wonderful. So um, last week I wasn't here. I was, uh, I was out ministering in, in Nashville, Tennessee uh, with some friends of mine. I also was doing a business conference uh, with my buddy. And so we had a, had a great time. We had actually had, I was sharing with um, Nick and Pastor Ken earlier that we had probably, it was probably 13 to 15 deliverances um, that happened that night. Uh, it was real powerful at the end of the night. We had some pretty, um, some pretty incredible manifestations that happened and people got real, real free. It was pretty, pretty fun, really fun night. So, uh, so thank you guys for supporting and for praying um, for us as, as I go out there about once a month and, and minister with, with a buddy of mine on Sunday nights there. Um, but tonight, or today, really, it's not a night, it's the day, it's the morning. Uh, we're going to talk about a, uh, a topic called Cleanse Your Temple. Cleanse Your Temple. I, I, we had one of my friends uh, from Nashville, he was actually in, um, hanging out at my house this weekend, and, uh, and we were doing some, some stuff for our podcast. My buddy and I have a podcast called Deep, Water, Deep Waters Podcast. And we were going through a couple different topics, and uh, this buddy of mine, his name is TJ O'Donnell. He does a lot of deliverance ministry. In, uh, in, in Nashville, does a, a lot with a couple churches out there and sees a lot of people get set free. And so we were talking a lot this weekend about that. And I'm actually currently teaching a class at Family of Faith Christian University um, on deliverance. And so this has been a topic that I'm just doing a lot for some reason right now. And so I thought we, uh, this would be a good, good topic to kind of hit a little bit on, uh, on this Sunday morning. You guys good about that? Good with that? Okay, praise the Lord. So this is going to be a little different than probably what you have been interested. If you've been around deliverance or heard deliverance messages or anything about the ministry of deliverance, then uh, th this may be a little bit different than what you have been used to. If you've never gone through hearing or studying or, or being taught about deliverance ministry, um, then this will be just a new process regardless of <laughs> if you're familiar with it or not. But we believe that this is something that is biblical. This is something that, uh, that is a right of, of a believer to encounter and to experience freedom in our lives. Everybody believe that there's freedom in Jesus' name? Amen. I think it's, it's difficult for us sometimes to wrap our heads around this because society has kind of pushed a narrative and a, an image of what it looks like to encounter deliverance. And, and there could be uh, some, some truths to some of the depictions in Hollywood, but I, I think that there's a big empty gap that they leave you and uh, misconceptions around what it actually means to go and encounter deliverance. It doesn't have to be something that's wild and crazy. Um, certainly the enemy does not want you to be free, so sometimes there will be outward manifestations that show that there is a demonic presence um, there, but that does not mean that you are not saved. It does not mean that you do not love Jesus. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan for you or anything like that either. And so I think it's important for us to realize that deliverance is actually a part of the word salvation. If you look throughout the New Testament, there's a word called sozo. And sozo is the Greek word that we get salvation from in many different areas. There's perhaps next week I'll go through a little bit more of that process and what that word means in different places where you can find it. But there's actually three parts to the word sozo. Sozo means saved, healed, and delivered. So saved from, from uh, eternal damnation. Saved into the kingdom of heaven. Saved into right relationship with Jesus. Healed as in physical healing. We actually walked through, you guys got to see some prayer for healing this morning. Amen. We believe that this is something that we should be doing consistently as a, as a believer, that we can pray for the sick and they'll recover. Everybody 
fine with that thought, pro- thought process as well? Yeah, so we believe that this is something that is true. We see this in the ministry of Jesus consistently throughout, his, uh, throughout the time that he walked the earth. In his ministry, the three, about the three years that he was walking the earth, the majority of his ministry actually contained deliverances and healings. If you read through the gospel narrative, you, uh, you see throughout the majority of the time that Jesus walks around and he does many things in different cities and, nation, and, uh, and, and people groups, you see that he is consistently walking through and, and it says that everybody was healed and delivered of, of spirits. He didn't just do this in the temple either. He did this in the temple and he did this out in public. So this is not something that's just reserved for, okay, we all have to have this big, huge ceremony right now, and then this is what's going to happen, and this is what we're doing today on a Sunday, and it only happens on Sundays. This is something that you can actually experience and encounter anywhere else outside of the church walls, because we don't believe that Jesus's presence remains here. Paul reminds us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus responds and reflects whenever he was met with some of the things that he um, that he encountered with, with some of the Pharisees, they questioned him, on what authority can you do this? And he even looks and he says, if this temple is torn down in three days, it will be, it will be rebuilt again. Talking about his body as a temple. And so there's a shift and there's a change in the perspective of we have to be inside four church walls or we have to, to, to traverse ourselves, to go into a specific location like a Mecca or you know, a, a specific temple that we have to travel a, a long distance in order to encounter Christ. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then he is with us at all times. And so this morning, we're going through this, this pa- a, a series of passages talking about cleansing your temple. And this is something that should be a process that we encounter multiple times. This is not just something that we should do one time and we're good. I, lo- I love to think about this as, uh, as a garden. Uh, the Garden of Eden is fascinating to me. I'm, I'm like a, a real big nerd when it comes to temple theology um, in the Old Testament and New Testament and what it means for us as a believer. And there's been, and go through this process. And so deliverance is very similar to that. It shouldn't be something that is a violent, horrible process that you go through. It's actually very freeing. It's supposed to be something that's freeing because it leads you into freedom. And so you can have a great garden, but you have to go through and make sure that there's some things that are removed in there so that it could thrive in the way that it needs to. And then you continue to go through that process so that if there's any kind of rubble, maybe you have a critter that comes around and tries to, to steal away some of, your, uh, some of your harvest or anything like that, then you have to take some precautions and figure out what you need to do to make sure that your harvest is plentiful. And so this is a way that we can think about deliverance. It doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be horrible. It's not a horror story or anything like that. This is a beautiful story of redemption that we get to continue to live in. The Bible also says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? So I believe, yes, whenever you accept Christ, you are saved. And there is a process in that salvation that you can also encounter healing and deliverance. Sometimes it happens immediately in, in a whole big process. You can hit all three super quickly in one, sh- in one swoop, and it's amazing. But there are other times where you have to cultivate. You have to go through that process of, okay, I understand that Jesus is my Savior. Now I need some freedom in some certain areas that I feel like I have not quite overcame yet. And sometimes you can go through this process on your own by, by analyzing and seeing what does the word say about this and what am, what's the lie that I'm believing about myself. 
What are the things that I'm believing about my past that's kind of dictating my future right now because I've held on to those things as truths when that's not what Jesus says about me? There are times that we can do that on our own and it's beautiful. But there are other times where it's, it's as if there's a barrier there. We can't quite see it very easily. And so we need some help from some brothers and sisters in the Lord to be able to identify some things because they can see things sometimes that we can't see. And this is something that every single believer goes through. I'm not just saying all y'all need all the deliverance on the planet because you guys messed up people. <laughs> I'm saying this is something that all of us encounter and experience because guess what? When we go through different phases of life, there's different types of of experiences, letdowns, of, of encounters with individuals, um, different types of growing that you have to do within yourself. How many of you guys are still on a pacifier right now? Anybody? Oh, so I'm, I'm in the right place right now. <laughs> okay, good. No one's, no one's addicted to hanging out with a pacifier all the time. So we've graduated from that point in our life, right? We've moved from that position. How many of you guys are still in first grade right now? Like, you're, you're going to school Tuesday, you're excited, you're meeting your teacher again. No? Okay, cool. So we're past that point of elementary school as well. Okay, awesome. High school, we've graduated from that position. Moving into these different phases and areas. So you go from, you go from having to be a baby and being cared for by somebody because you can't survive on your own. Then you move into, into uh, adolescence. And then from adolescence, you move out of that phase. And then, then you go into where you're a young adult and you're finding out what life is like on your own and having to figure out, how can I pay my bills? What is a job? How do I show up on time? I'm staying up entirely too late and I need to wake up earlier. <laughs> Amen? You're going through these different phases. And then for some of you guys, you went through the process of, okay, now I found someone that I want to spend my life with, so now I'm married. Oh, now I'm living with somebody, and they're different than me. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Got to learn some things here now. So now you're experiencing and encountering these different things about how to, how to cohabitate with somebody and how to deal with the differences and how to come together on things and how to pro progress forward. And then you had a kid, and you're like, Life is different now. I thought we had it together. I thought we had it figured out, but now we're doing something different here. Dealing with now a human that needs us at every turn of the corner. Now you're raising them, and then they start to talk. And you're like, good grief. They have words that they're saying now, and it's not always the words I want them to say. They're not responding in the way that I would love for them to respond. What is this little human not doing what I want them to do? And then they move from that place. Now they're starting to make a lot of their own decisions as they get older. And then they enter into high school age, and then they go into uh, the, the young adulthood to where now you, you may be an empty nester. Now, you don't have kids that you're caring for, and you're trying to figure out who you are. There are different phases that we hit in every single moment of our lives. There's different seasons and different times. And so this also leads into the position that we could also be disappointed. We could be let down. We can go through heartache. You can go through grief. You can go through triumph. You can go through celebration. There's lots of things that happen in the middle of these seasons of your life as you grow and develop. And so what happens is if we allow those seasons to speak negatively, and I love that Hank brought up that we're supposed to consider it pure joy when we encounter things, is because if we, if we dwell so much on the negative things that happen, then we start to attach ourselves and feel like this is what our destiny is supposed to be about. And when we do that, we open up a door of rejection and disappointment that the enemy will continue to speak lies to you about every single person you encounter, about every scenario you'll go into, about every job opportunity you have, 
about anything that could seem like it's going to be a good thing. You, you just are like, well, sooner or later, this is going to go south and it's going to be horrible because this is just what my life is about. You're speaking these things over your life and you're aligning yourself with the opposite of what God is asking us to walk into. And so these are things sometimes it's deliverance over the thought process that you have. Again, this doesn't have to be a nasty, gory thing that we encounter or experience. This is something that, that we actually excrete the things that the enemy is trying to speak and identify yourself with. Many of us have identity problems, and it's not a gender ideology. It's legitimately who you were created to be. Who were you created to be as a son or a daughter of the Most High? Do you believe that he has good things in store for you? Do you believe that, that what he has is great? Do you believe that even in the midst of trial and tribulation that, that he is still good? Do you believe that you are loved in the middle of all those things? Or do you feel like you have been rejected by every single person around the corner and you feel trapped? And you feel like you're in an endless cycle of just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. What are these things doing? So what I want to do is I want to read in a passage first in, in the book of Nehemiah. At some point, I'm going to do, uh, do a series um, walking through the book of Nehemiah because I think it's extremely important. And there's a series of individuals in the Old Testament that were alive at the, very, at the exact same time in some of the books that you see in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of things that are connected to what's going on in this era and this time. But what I want to do in this book is I want to go to Nehemiah chapter 13. So this is the very last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And I want to go through just a few parts of the first half of this, of this chapter that I think is going to be very helpful for us to understand some things. So what happened um, leading up to this moment is that Nehemiah ended up coming through and he helped rebuild the wall in the nation. Helped to come through and reestablish many of the things that were happening in the temple because um, there was... There was a massive exodus that had occurred. And uh, because of the disobedience of previous kings and, and individuals of walking back into idolatry, the Lord allowed the enemies to come in and, and to take away what they had once planted in. And so idolatry got them to a place of desolation. And, and Nehemiah caught a burden for the people who were lost and who were broken, saw the state of the, of the nation and was just tore up. And so he wanted to do something about what had happened. And so in the last chapter, we see that, um, that, the, uh, that this is Nehemiah's final reforms within the nation as he went through the rebuilding process. And it says this in verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. That's a, that's a reference to a previous, um, previous book, previous chapter, where Balaam um, was hired to, to, to just hail curses over the nation of Israel so that the, uh, the neighboring nations did not have to deal with the Israelites. And they were terrified of what could happen. So instead of lending aid to them, Balaam was supposed to, to fire out curses, but the Lord flipped those curses and created them into blessings. Hey, that's, a, that's a beautiful story, but I won't get into that because that's not where we're at today. Um, and so verse, verse 3, when the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Part of this reason right here is because whenever they allowed foreigners into their land, this was, this was a, a pretty substantial thing that, that the Lord 
passed down through law for the Israelites is that it's not because God didn't like these other nations. It's because when you, when you get infiltrated with these different nations who are very idolatrous in nature, back in those days, every single thing that people did circled around their religious belief. So their temple, their place of worship was like the centerpiece of their community. And so everything that happened around that community was built around their worship to their God, their practice of whatever it was that was happening in a religious sense. And so whenever you bring in another nation that serves these other gods, they tend to infiltrate and to draw people away from Yahweh God and move them into idolatry. And so this was why God was very de uh, deliberate about Solomon not, not taking in foreign wives. For one, he said wives plural. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> That's not good. For two, whenever you bring in an intimacy, people who do not follow after God, it's very easy for you to be, as James says in James chapter 1, tempted and enticed by your own lustful desires, being drug away by the things that your flesh wants, because it's easy to conform to the ways of those who are around you. This is why that, that age-old uh, phrase of, if you really want to see who you're going to become, just look at the friends that you surround yourself with. Because that's what your destiny is headed toward. Those who you hang around on a, on a consistent basis will help dictate where you're going to go in the long run because those are going to be the people who are supposed to encourage you, who are supposed to bring correction to your life. They're supposed to build you up. But if you have people who are extremely negative and their, their heart is built in idolatry and the heart is built in those areas, then guess what? You're going to be drawn towards their opinion because when you care deeply about what they have to say, then you're going to start to conform to the things that they bring you into. And so whenever they bring this part up to where it's like, hey, we had a lot of people from outside of our belief system in our neighboring nation that they were going after tons of idols. And they actually brought idolatry to a height in our nation, and this is not good. Now, what I'm not saying is, well, you can only have Christian friends. You can't have any other friends with anybody else. Don't talk to anybody at Walmart that doesn't know Jesus. You got to ask him to show them your Christian card. Do you have your Christian card? Because I can't talk to you if you don't have that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you're close with others, be careful of who's giving you advice and see where their character leads. Because that could also lead you into a path of destruction or move you away from honoring God in the things that you do. Are they fine with you lying a little bit? It's just a little white lie. It'll get you out of whatever needs to happen. Oh, you can look at a little bit of this and it's okay. Nobody will ever know. Oh, you can just take a little bit of this money, lie about this here, and then it'll be fine. You need the money, so it's fine. It's okay. Who's, who's speaking into your life and what words are they empowering you to do? Are they empowering you to walk out in, in truth, honesty, and, and all the things that the Lord is calling you to? Does it show the fruit of the Spirit? Again, I mentioned this. The fruit is the, the fruit. It says say fruits. It says the fruit. And the fruit has, is, is the fruit of love. And, the lo and love is flavored this way. With love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the flavors of that fruit. This should be produced in your life. You shouldn't say, I need to grab the patience fruit today because I need a lot of patience. If you only have patience, but you don't have any kind of love or compassion, it's really not patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit. It should come 
from your relationship with others, especially being rooted in God. So when the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Elisha Shaib, the priest, had, put, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. So there was a storeroom that they put in the temple that was supposed to be placed, um, uh, well, it tells you here in a second. So he was closely associated with Tobiah, and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings, the incense, and the temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. So this priest took what was actually supposed to be the storehouse, supposed to be a place that, that contained all the different things for the, uh, for the offerings and for the different things that would cause the temple to, to act in the way that the Lord had prescribed it to be, so that people could have all the things that's needed, the Levites, they could be taken care of as prescribed in the book of Exodus, that all the people who were needed to be um, taken care of so that all the operations in the temple could work correctly. They took that space, got rid of all those things, and put this foreigner in the storehouse. This is verse 6. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah talking. Here, I learned about the evil thing that had been done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. You say, how on earth is this a message about deliverance? You see, the temple was a place where the, the presence of God, where the people would gather together and they would go through the process of confession of their sins, to be purified of their sins. They would go through the process of offering, of, of providing offerings to the Lord, bringing things into the storehouse so that the temple can continue in its divine purpose that the Lord has, had, had set in place so that there could be service from the different people who were experts in going through and making sure that things were taken care of the way that God had designed, so that proper worship could be done in the house of God. And what this priest did was he removed all those things and placed someone who was actually uh, a, an, an enemy of the nation, let him live in the temple, Remove the storehouse occupation stuff so everything that was needed so that it could be provided for those who are supposed to help service in the house of God and then also to provide for the offerings that were supposed to be made to God as well. Those things were removed because he allowed the enemy to come in and to live there. This is beautiful imagery for us to understand that we could still be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can still be the place that God dwells. However, we allow at times the enemy to have residence in different rooms or different areas of our life. 
And what happens in the process is it causes you not to be able to worship the Lord in the way we were designed to. Because now you've limited the opportunity to actually offer God worship in different ways. Also, in doing so, you send back the habits or the ways that you could be able to cultivate right relationship with God because you've, you've removed that process of complete importing and indwelling of the Holy Spirit by doing that. He said that whenever Tobias was able to, to live there, it removed all the things and caused the Levites, the musicians, and those who were supposed to be occupants to help out with that area to go back to their homes so that they can make a living and they can make wages in order to provide for their families. So it's not that it still wasn't the temple. They did not call it the temple anymore. But there was a room that was occupied that was causing some friction and caused them to not be able to worship the Lord in the way that was needed. So what Nehemiah did was he saw, he saw what was happening. He saw the, the inadequate leadership that was going on. And he eradicated and got rid of and expelled that room from all the things that was the, of the enemies. Got rid of it. And then put back all the things that needed to be there in order to adequately worship the Lord. You see, at times, whenever we go through processes of allowing an open door and allowing an area of our life to be, to be influenced by the enemy, it makes it more difficult for us to be able to spend time reading the word. It makes it harder for us to want to spend time in prayer, adoration. It makes it harder for us to want to go and talk to someone who's, a, who's another fellow believer and, and actually deal with the things that are going on internally that's causing some discord inside of your life. It's hard for you to confess your sins because you're trying to hide everything in this room away from all those who could be in view. So the things that, that we're called to be present in our life as believers, as a community, those things start to be removed and you start to squander and squelch that process of having community in your life because you've allowed the enemy to take occupancy inside as well. And so Nehemiah serves as a great, great, great example of what it means for us to also experience and encounter deliverance as a believer. And this was beautiful because once that was removed, they were able to reestablish some of those practices and, and those things that would bring the Lord pleasure. It brought purity. I love that he also said, we're purifying this space. And then they brought these things back in. Bringing purity to that area of your life is important as well, too, because it's not, it's not just for freedom. It's not just for the process of freedom that we can go, okay, yay, woohoo, I'm free. Now I'm just going to do a bunch of stuff because that's what I have to do. I've got to do it because that's just my responsibility. It's like there's actually no purity in, in feeling like you have to do things in order to make the Lord happy. It should be from the position, like John said, he said, we need to return back to our first love. In the book of Revelation, he tells the church, he says, look, you guys are, are a well-oiled machine. You're doing great. However, the process that's struggling right now is that you've forgotten your first love. I, th I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, my buddy and I on our podcast, we had the opportunity to, to chat with Dr. Brian Simmons, and he was talking about his new... Um, He's coming out with a new 365-day devotional over the book of John. And he said the entirety of this thing is to get people to return back to their first love. That's the entirety of all these things that I, I want people to be able to do. And to get back to your first love is not that you have to get back to doing works all the time. I need to work because I need to work for his love. I need to make it 
feel like I earned it and that this is right and this is good. He said, your first love is to realize and remember that you were loved first. That's your first love. You're not supposed to earn your salvation, right? Paul tells us it's by grace through faith that we've been saved. So that no man can boast about the things that they've done. So it's first to realize that God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his son. And from that position, you can now offer him your adoration and your love. The greatest activity of worship that we can have is actually obedience to him. Some of the greatest process of, of worship that we can offer him. And obedience is also something that we can do in adoration. We offer him our thanks. I love that in Philippians 4 where he says that, that in everything that we do, with prayer, supplication, give our thanksgiving. It starts with a thankful heart. Derek Prince says this. He says that if I have 10 minutes to spend time with God, I'm going to spend eight of those 10 thanking him. If I only have 10 minutes today to go through and spend time with God very intentionally, then I'm going to spend eight of, eight of it thanking him for the things that he has done because that transforms the way that I think because it doesn't become what I have done or what I can do. It's be, it becomes about what he has done because of his love for me so much. And so when we see this passage in Nehemiah, we see that, that there's a process of removing the barriers that allow us to operate into adoration, removes those barriers that, that cause us not to be able to confess to the Lord, removes those barriers for us to be able to, to adequately say, thank you, Jesus. This is an offering I'm, I'm happy to give you because this is what you have done. And I don't mean monetary offering. Many times we say offering and we connect that with money. An offering to the Lord could mean that you're just dedicating some time. It means that you can stop at the store for the one person that you see that's hurting. It means that you can take some time and really, really love on other people because you realize how much you've been loved. And then quickly, because I don't have, have too much time, uh, we also want to take some communion today. In the book of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, uh, John writes this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people sell, uh, selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts. This is a second time. He didn't just do this one time. Because many believe that he did this twice in his life. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove all who were there, buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. You're making it a den of robbers. The first time when he did this, he said, you're making this into a market. You're making this about buying and selling. You see, in this time, and I don't want to take too much time talking about this, um, but 
in Herod's temple, Herod was very prideful in how he built, the, uh, built onto the temple that Jerubbabel had made. Because there were a couple different temples that were built throughout the Old, uh, the Old Testament and New Testament times. And Herod wanted to really impress the Israelites, and he wanted to be more well-known than Solomon. Solomon's temple was known as the, as the most beautiful temple that was built before because it was exactly to the specifications that God had delivered to David. And, and God provided lots of finances, and it was gorgeous in how, how Solomon created this. However, Herod wanted to be more well-known than Solomon, and he wanted to have favor in the eyes of those who he was ruler over. And so what he did was he built a larger temple out of more gold, and it was so much so to where when people came into the community, there was a shine and a shimmer that came off that temple because of how golden it was. And so it was known that this was a very beautiful, beautiful temple and location. And so Herod was very prideful in what he did. And so what he also did is he extended the temple into a place where he allowed um, commerce to happen there. So instead of people bringing their own offerings and their own, their own uh, uh, sacrifices to the Lord, they would just go and purchase one real quick so they can go do whatever it is they need to do and then be done with it. And so it created a, an illegitimate process of, of worship in the temple of God. And so many people will be also taken advantage of in these places because they could drive prices up or they can pull it down however they wanted to. They controlled the market because they were right there in the middle of the temple. And so Jesus was ticked off at first. He's like, look, you guys made this into a market. Flip a table. You made this into, into a place where you're just making commerce. All these things. So he was, he was ticked off. He was like, this should be a house of prayer. The second time, he was even more aggravated because he had already dealt with this one time earlier in his ministry. And then he comes again and they're doing this even more. So now he's flipping and saying, you guys are robbers. So he moves from saying this is just a market that's inappropriate into you guys are thieves and robbers. And you're going completely against what scripture says and what God desires for us to do. Jesus walked in and he cleansed the temple of what was inappropriate and inadequate because people were trying to take advantage of a system and not actually offer their true worship to the Lord. See, there's some things that we can encounter and go through, just like from Nehemiah's day, where you allow the enemy to sit in and to take, um, take residence in a specific area of your life. And that could be with, with specific sins that we see that you would overtly think of um, automatically. Could be with, with uh, sexual immorality. It could be that you're, just lo you're looking at stuff on the internet all the time that you shouldn't be looking at. It could be that you're lying, you're stealing. You're doing specific things that you would be like, all right, yeah, that's a sin. You can't be doing that. But then you look at Jesus' day, and these people were doing this for religious purposes. And so there's also a religious activity that you can get into to where you're not actually worshiping the Lord from your heart. You're doing it out of just service. You're like, okay, I checked the box. I'm here on Sunday. Boom. I did what I needed to do. That's great. But what does that actually mean with your relationship with God? When you walk out of these doors, do you have a relationship with him? Are you actually praying? Are you taking time to read through some scripture? Are you, are you speaking with the Lord? Is he convicting you of things? Are you having conversations with other believers that are challenging you and, and bringing you to a place of saying, I need to experience more humility in my life. I need to experience some of these things. Danielle and I, we do this all the time. And if you're not humble, if you don't, if you don't have the opportunity to sit and say, okay, I need to listen because these are some things that could be beneficial in bringing me closer to God and also be a better representative of what it means to be a believer. Deliverance should lead you into the arms of your father. Should not lead you away in, into a process of service. 
we want to be true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, we also have to go through the process of saying, what is it about my temple that is pleasing or not pleasing to you right now, Father? Have I allowed certain thought processes to overwhelm me to the, pro- to, to the place where I have no peace in my life? Am I filled and riddled with anxiety and depression right now? What's my thought process in the middle of all these things? Am I taking these thoughts captive? What does, what does Jesus say about me in scripture? What is the truth about my situation? And what is God doing in the middle of it? These are things that we need to be aware of and considering of. As we get ready to, to go through the process of, of partaking of communion, I want to offer a uh, I want to offer an opportunity for us to go through what Scripture says. Uh, I believe we're in First Corinthians next, Kevin. I think. Yeah, can you go ahead and go there? I didn't put that down on my thing. So it says this in 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 verse twenty, First Corinthians eleven. He said, "So then, when you come together." It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed... He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that when uh, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. I love this passage because it reminds us that we are not just going to partake of these elements just because this is something we do at church. This should be an opportunity that we have to gather together and to really do some self-evaluation in this position. To take some time and say, Lord, is there a specific place that I have given foothold to the enemy? that I need to confess. I love they say that we do this together. So this isn't just something you do by yourself, but you do this with other people so that you can confess your faults 
to one another and pray for one another. I love that that's in there. It's not just confess your faults one to another so that we can make fun of you for being a ding-dong and doing stuff that you're not supposed to. It doesn't say that. It says confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Blessed. Healing comes in confession. When you confess that these things are going on, then it does not give the enemy foothold to sit there while you try to hide the struggles that you have because you're trying to put on an image that you have everything together and there's nothing wrong. The temple looked the same on the outside that it did whenever Nehemiah, before Nehemiah came in and eradicated Tobiah, and then after Nehemiah came in and set up the purification process and did that. The outside looked the same. Did you know that? However, the process of what was going on internally, after they removed the enemy and set that place up to where now it was able to give adequate worship to the Lord, that changed the activity that happened on the inside. So it was a recognition that there's something that doesn't need to be there, is there. Now we need to get rid of that. We need to expel what was there. And then we need to go through the purification process of saying, Lord, I, I give this place to you. This is for you, and this is for your purposes. And in this, I'm going to honor you with everything that I do. So everything I store in this place is going to be used for the function of giving you praise. It's going to be used for this position of giving you honor. And I'm going to invite other people in so that they can maintain and help to make sure that this place is functioning as it needs to. So it means that I need to dwell in community so that I'm not the only eyes that are on this place because if I'm the only one that will do this, I will certainly compromise different things and allow for little things to happen because either I don't want to deal with them on my own or because it's just too overwhelming to think about it. The Lord is inviting us this morning to be able to look inside and say, Lord, is there something that I need to give to you? Is there something that I need to remove from my life? Are there some things that I need to renounce that I've come into, I've come into agreement with these lies about myself? So I need to renounce these things from my life. I need to renounce these thought processes and I need to say, Lord, I'm gonna take these thoughts captive. When they try to come and penetrate me again, I think about what your word says about me and who I am and I say that that is not me, that does not define me and that is not who I am. This is who I am by the word of the Lord. And then dwell with other people who can help keep you accountable in those things. Because Jesus didn't just go to the temple one time, he went there twice and flipped those tables. This is a continual process that we get to do in whatever season, whatever area of your life that you're in, whatever time frame, whatever struggles, whatever triumphs that are going on. The Lord offers this opportunity for us to gather together, to do some reflection, to offer those things to him so that we don't inadequately partake. Last, uh, two weeks ago, I was talking about how taking of communion is also a process of worship for us. That we don't take advantage of what it actually means to partake of the Lord's Supper with one another. When we grab the bread, it's, it's valuable because this is 
the reminder of what Christ went through in his body. When we partake of the cup, do you realize his blood was spilled so that I don't have to be afflicted? I don't have to be condemned. I don't have to be filled with, with all types of insecurity and uncertainty about who I am. I'm actually found in Christ, and he has given himself so that I can have freedom. Not just for salvation to where I can punch a ticket and say I'm going to heaven, but so that I can have a relationship with God. And I can be set free from, the, from the, the, the tears of the enemy. And I can also experience healing in my body. This is the God that we serve. But we also have to walk in humility. There may be some areas of your life where you feel like my temple is functioning really well in humility. And there's some other areas that you may be like, man, I need to humble myself in this position because this is something that I'm not doing very well. I'm learning this more and more. But it's very easy to feel superior because you're very knowledgeable in a specific area. I feel very confident to stand in front of people and talk about the word because I love it. I study it all the time. I do a lot of this stuff consistently. But there are also other parts of your life that you feel like, you know what, I may have been stunted in my growth in certain areas. I need to stretch these muscles more. I need to do some more lifting so that I can figure out what I need to do in order to come to maturity. And a lot of times, in order to do that, you have to humble yourself to realize you need to be in that position. So I want to invite, I guess, Dad and Pastor Ken, are you guys going to grab some of those in the front? We have, uh, we have the elements. This is, before he, um, before we go ahead and come up forward, I want to just take a few moments just, just of, of contemplation. I want you guys to think about some of the things that we talked about this morning. Are there areas that you feel like the Lord is highlighting as we were going through things this morning? Was there something that you felt the Lord kind of quickened in your heart? Maybe did you get aggravated or agitated at something that I said in that moment? Why was that that you got aggravated? Analyze those things and ask the Lord what it is that you want, that he wants from you in that. Just take a few moments and go through that. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to, and to worship you. Lord, we want, it to be, we want to be made aware of the things that don't need to be there in our lives, things that we've struggled with and we've gone through that have not been pleasing to you. Lord, thank you for the growth that we've made in different areas of relationship with you. And thank you for highlighting the areas that we need to be stretched in and we need to increase in as well. Thank you for a great body of believers that we get to, to talk with one another, encourage one another, and uplift one another. That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we do not come at each other with words of condemnation or manipulation. But, Lord, we want to come to you with 
with a pure heart and clean hands. So if you guys could repeat after me, we're gonna we're gonna just do a, a quick prayer with, with each other, if that's okay. So repeat this. Dear Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the sacrifice you've made. Thank you for your scripture and everything that you say in it. Forgive us of the things that we have done that's not pleasing to you. I renounce inadequate thoughts about who I am and how you see me. I renounce activity that's not good. Things that do not please you. Purify my thoughts. Sanctify my heart. Remove anything in this temple that doesn't need to be there. I love you, I love you, I love you. Come on, say that again. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, there's sometimes where it's, uh, it's hard for us to say I love you. Sometimes you may not feel very loved. Maybe you haven't gone through a process in your upbringing where you felt the love of a father or a mother. Maybe you felt rejected in your life by many different people. Maybe you have an, uh, a failed marriage or someone ran out on you. Maybe you've been cheated on. Maybe you've been taken advantage of in the workplace. Maybe you've gone through strife with family. Maybe you're encountering what seems like to be attacks on the left and the right-hand side. But you don't feel like anybody has your back in these areas. But let me tell you that you are loved so wonderfully. So much so that, that Jesus said there's no love greater than when someone gives their life to, on the, for a friend. That's exactly what he did for you. He did not reject you, and he does not reject you. Even though people may come against you at different times, he did not reject you. He still does not reject you. No matter what you have done, he does not reject you. He's there with open arms every time you come and confess to him. Every time you ask him to draw near, he's there to draw near. The beautiful thing is that his love can't overwhelm your feelings, but his love is not just a feeling. His love is met with action. And so even if you don't feel like you are loved by Jesus, let me tell you, his actions speak much louder than any feeling that you could ever hope to have from that. So I just pray a blessing over each and every one of these people right now. Lord, I pray that your peace just overwhelms them in this room. Lord, for anyone who feels rejection they feel rejected they feel dejected they feel like there's not a place for them they feel like there's not um, uh, a direction that they have for their life they feel like they're just running uphill consistently and there's no reprieve 
I just pray that you just meet them with peace right now in Jesus' name. That that feeling of striving for people's opinions and approvals, Lord, that that would subside and they would know that they have gained and earned already through, through just being, uh, being a human, for just existing, that you've loved them before they could even come to a place of trying to live righteously, that you've cared for them before they could even hope to do the right thing. And so, Lord, I pray that you just meet them right now in that place and that you eradicate from those rooms the different things that have bound them away and kept them from worshiping you with everything that they can. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would, um, there's stuff on each side. If you guys could go, um, I guess, on the outside, you come on the outside here, and then you'll grab the elements, grab the bread and the, and the, uh, the cup, and you guys can also do the same coming around here. If you need um, one of them to come to you because um, you're unable to, to make your way up here, then that's totally fine. They can make their way back to you in just a few moments. This is a wonderful, wonderful privilege we get to have to, to partake of the Lord's, the Lord's Supper here like this. Something that's really fun is that when Jesus did this, he did this on Passover. And Passover was a time where they would remember the things that happened in their, in their community throughout generation to generation for when they encountered the wilderness season in Exodus. They would go through this meal and they would talk about all the different things that happened to their, to their, uh, their ancestors. From being enslaved in Egypt, they would go through this process step by step in this meal. And they would go through each and every area to remember the goodness of God throughout that entirety. And something that's unique is that Jesus came and he, he took the took the bread we're in our case a cracker right now he took this and he told them to do this in remembrance of him now I there is a there are three streams of belief typically within Christianity that 
they go through with the elements. One is uh, transubstantiation. That means that they believe that this actually turns into the body and the blood of Jesus. The second one is that they believe that the presence is, is in front of, behind, to the left, to the right. The presence of God is, is around the elements as we go through this process of remembering what God has done. It's not just a, a pop a cracker, take a quick shot of, of whatever it is that you got there and you're good to go. Um, but this is something that is, that is a, a sacred thing that we get to do in remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us. So this isn't just some random thing that we're doing to just quickly remember. This is, this is a remembering that goes further than just knowledge. This goes into the heart of saying, I believe in partaking of these things. I believe just as the Israelites knew and believed of the things that happened from Egypt and being delivered from Egypt, uh, Egyptian slavery, moved into the place where they got the Ten Commandments and then went into the wilderness, experienced 40 years of that of that wilderness activity and then was able to go into the promised land that God's goodness moved from generation to generation to generation and that he was faithful to, to, to do the things that he said and so if he's faithful to do that then when Jesus came then we can believe that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient it was more than enough for the things that we needed to go through he was sufficient for our salvation so I don't have to question every single day if I'm saved or if I'm not saved because I know that if I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I am saved. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose and ascended, then he truly did save me. And so if I believe that, then I also believe in the transformative process of what it means to follow after Jesus with my whole life. And so when we partake of this bread, it's, it's not just in, okay, cool, that's fun. This is what we do as Christians. No, this is, I'm declaring and continuously reminding myself of what I truly believe about who Jesus is. The last process is just a, just a remembrance. I kind of land in the middle in the consubstantiation because I believe that this is more powerful than just a, a, a head knowledge remembrance. But I don't think that this is flesh right here. So I believe that the presence of God is here with us as we partake and remember truly what it was that Jesus did for us. That if you are sick in body right now, I believe that even in the remembrance of what God has done, what Jesus did, by his stripes you were healed. That you could receive healing. Even without us having to sit here and lay hands on every single person that's afflicted. So you can receive deliverance because Jesus is great as your deliverer. As we partake of these things, we put our trust and faith in truly who Jesus is. Not just as a remembrance, but truly as a belief. And so as we hold up this cracker, I believe that Jesus came and his body was broken. As we were broken, that when he rose from the grave, he rose completely healed and restored. So he has the power over my sin. He has the power over my body's afflictions and he can heal us. So I believe in Jesus's sacrifice. Let's partake of this bread. Now the cup. You know, Jesus bled, uh, he, he sweat drops of blood when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was getting ready to go into, knowing that he was going to be brutally executed so that we can be partakers of salvation and intimacy at the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you know that he was, ex that, uh, psychologists say that's extreme anxiety 
extreme depression that would lead someone into a place of sweating drops of blood. So did you know that you cannot be more anxious than Jesus was anxious about this moment? You could not be more depressed than Jesus probably felt in that moment either. But yet he was able to walk in obedience to things that the Lord called him into. So do you know what he did? He took your anxiety, he took your depression, he took your negative thoughts about yourself, and what he did was he took that and he still walked in obedience and he overcame those things so that we could be freed from the process of extreme anxiety. We could be freed from the process of, of exuberant depression, knowing that feelings of, of anticipation are part of our human life, but to live in be riddled by anxiety, crippled by it, is not a plan of the Lord for your life. So I believe that the blood that he shed, not just on the cross, but when he was in the garden, was so that I can encounter and experience healing of my mind, healing of my will, healing of my emotions, and also I could be cleansed from my unrighteousness. So I partake of this cup in belief of truly who Jesus is and what he does for me in my life as I surrender to him as my Lord and Savior. Let us take in remembrance of what Jesus did. So let me pray for us as we wrap up. I knew I can get away with, with holding you guys for a couple more minutes because food is just right here. <laughs> so there's no waiting in lines. You're just going. So Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion. Thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Thank you that you were disappointed before we could ever be disappointed. Thank you that you were rejected by man before we could ever be rejected by man. Thank you that you were pushed to the side and lied about before we could ever feel the feeling of someone lying against us. Thank you that your body was broken before our bodies could ever become broken. Thank you that you experienced the pain and the hurt and the heartache before we can ever encounter these things and that you overcame them and the power of the resurrection and that you ascended and that you also commissioned us to walk out into freedom, into, into hope, into joy, and to have peace in our lives. Lord, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit is not just a concept that we know in our minds, but this is something that we're living out. Lord, that people would know us by our fruit. Lord, that we would be able to encounter the healing that's needed so that we could be, be operational and not feel crippled by the things that have so held us, uh, held us away from you. Lord, let us be people who are fully surrendered. Let us be open and honest in our confessions with one another so that we can build each other up in the different phases and areas of our, of our lives, Lord, so that we can be delivered from our thought processes, delivered from our traumas, delivered from our previous hurts and previous, previous experiences so that we can walk in true freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free, not so we can be bound in chains any longer. So we give you praise, honor, and glory because you are so incredible and you deserve it. Bless the food that we're about to partake of. Let us have great fellowship with one another. Nourish it to our bodies. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me just remind you something real quick before we exit. There are, they're called chargers on the table. The wooden chargers are not your plates. They have plates on, uh, in the line. So you take your plate and you put it on the charger. Just want to give you a heads up. The, the things that are on the tables are more like placemats to help you out. So that's not your, your plate. Just FYI, if you're grabbing a wooden thing and you're walking up to grab some food, you, you, you're wrong. <laughs>